Hello, and welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Cantor, and I'm the editor-in-chief at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, where we're in the midst of unpacking the results of our 17th annual year-in-review survey. To celebrate this momentous event, ID Talk is featuring interviews with biometrics and identity industry leaders focusing on major milestones from 2019 and the previous decade as a whole. That's why today I am pleased to bring you my conversation with Dean Nichols, Vice President of Global Marketing for Jumio. Our discussion begins on a major topic of the past decade, the historic data breaches and how they empowered fraudsters. We jump from that to the important role that AI and biometric liveness detection technologies play in keeping competitive with modern sophisticated fraudsters before discussing how public perception of biometrics has changed in the age of regulation and mobility. We wrap things up with an update on Jumio Go and look ahead with a preview of what to expect from the company in the near future. So now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring you my conversation with Jumio's Dean Nichols right here on the ID Talk podcast. I'm joined today by Dean Nichols, Vice President of Global Marketing for Jumio. Dean, thanks for joining me today on ID Talk. Thanks, Peter. I look forward to our little chat. So I'd like to start today on the topic of fraud. As much as the 2010s were the decade of biometrics, I think it's safe to say they were also the decade of the data breach. Near the end of last year, Jumia released its annual holiday new account fraud report, which showed account fraud had increased 27.8% worldwide. How have this decade's historic breaches empowered fraudsters specifically around the statistic of new account fraud? Yeah, it's a really good question. I I think, um, Peter, if you think about what is... um, sacrifice in a data breach. It's often obviously a person's name, uh, address, but it's, it's often their username and passwords, right? And so these data breaches uh, sadly have become fairly routine and they're often involving millions of, of records, of our records, right? And that means um, there's a pretty quick turnaround from the data breach to where that data ends up being on the dark web. And that means, again, that all, all of our name, our contact information and usernames or passwords are out there um, for sale on the dark web where it can be bought and sold and often weaponized kind of against us. So it's not surprisingly that you're seeing new account fraud given that um, the the ability to really kind of perform identity theft at scale um, has enabled that through technology, through, through attacks like credential stuffing, where if I have a bunch of (laughs) usernames and passwords, and even for example, I know it's Peter counter at fine biometrics. Um, if I'm able to get your username and password on one site, I can literally leverage something called credential stuffing to apply that at 10,000 sites in mass in a very automated fashion. And there's a very good chance I'm going to be able to kind of crack into one of your accounts. So, you know, technology has enabled a lot of this new account fraud. And obviously the dark web um, is further fueling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, fraud has really been likened to an arms race, specifically with that advent of deep fake technology and the proliferation of user data as you were speaking about. How are AI and machine learning technologies helping the good guys stay competitive with today's fraud threats? Yeah, well, maybe I'll make this a little bit personal. So at Jumio, just as a quick review kind of for your your listeners, um, we provide online identity verification. We do that by um, requiring that the user provide us a, a picture of a government-issued ID, like a, um, a passport or a driver's license. And then what we do is ask for a selfie, right, to corroborate that the person in the selfie 
is same as the person pictured on their government issued ID. Um, if you think about five or six years ago, we didn't actually even require a selfie. We just asked for someone's ID. But but what happened is it became easy to kind of create fraudulent IDs. Um, and so we then had to kind of step up, right? Again, to stay a step ahead uh, of the fraudsters in that arms race. Um, we leverage, for example, AI machine learning, even in the ID verification to make sure that the ID is legitimate um, and hasn't been doctored or altered in, in any way, right? And that's also becoming increasingly difficult um, because it's you can literally buy real IDs off, off the dark web. And so obviously then we then introduced selfies and, and then that certainly st um, stopped a lot of the, the fraud by, just by imposing that requirement. But then what we discovered is that the fraudsters would then say, instead of taking an actual selfie, they'd literally just take a picture off the internet of, the, of a person and hold that picture up as their selfie. That then spawned the introduction of liveness detection, right? And so with each new advance um, the fraudsters make, we need to leverage you know, AI and machine learning to really to kind of stay a, a step or two ahead of them. And I think we'll talk more about that as we talk about, about more about uh, deep fakes. But at a high level, these tools are absolutely vital, um, specifically kind of AI machine learning, to, to do just that, to stay a step ahead. And would you say that there are any, mm, any lingering misconceptions about uh, using AI uh, in this uh, fight against fraud? I just, I feel like artificial intelligence is such a culturally heavy uh, term I, I imagine there must be quite a few uh, misconceptions and preconceptions. Yeah, and I think there's also the, the consumption, uh, the, really the perception that it's a panacea. You throw, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that AI can really make educated decisions and fight fraud on its own. And so I think what's important for people to understand is, is actually kind of how AI works. So we, we're starting to talk more about this, this notion of informed AI. And so what do I mean by that? Well, obviously, if you see um, uh, lots and lots of, for example, uh, data, let's say we're talking about Belgium, right? The more IDs you see from Belgium, the better your AI algorithms are going to be at spotting fake IDs or passports from fraudulent ones, right? But AI can only go so far. And let me just talk about some of the shortcomings of, of AI. Is in our space, we're asking people to take a picture, right, of their, their government issued ID. Let's say it's their, their Belgian driver's license. There's a number of, of environmental factors that go in um, that, that can impact the quality of that image, of that picture. So, for example, there might be a lot of glare on the picture, or there might be a little bit of a blur. The might, person might shake as they take the picture. When if you only relied 100% on AI, most of those um, images would be viewed as unreadable and AI wouldn't be able to process those transactions. So we know, you know that fraud in our space, you know, for new account fraud is probably one to 2% of all transactions. But we also know that environmental factors can impact images and image quality for up to 20 to 30% of those images. So unless you have a way to see through the glare and the blur, um, most purely automated, purely AI solutions will actually reject 20 to 30% of those transactions, which ultimately ends up in a really bad experience for the end user and a really bad experience um, for the business, right? Because they end up having to employ a lot of manual review um, 
to do that. So I think part of it is understanding some of the limitations of AI and then understanding AI is definitely um, a work in prog progress. And we leverage AI a, a lot to kind of improve the quality and the speed of our verification. But we're really just, um, we're really just starting down that journey. And our, our hope is that AI gets a lot more informed um, in time, but we need to inform it with smart data, with human tagging and review, and that's going to make our, our engines a lot smarter and allow them to iterate, frankly, a lot faster. You know, and uh, you touched on liveness detection a bit before, um, but I also wanted to kind of follow up around that. What is the role of liveness detection in the process of preventing new account fraud? For any company that's looking at kind of any kind of biometric-based authentication, um, spoofing is becoming a, a real thing, right? And this is where people um, pretend to be a person by showing a picture or, or leveraging a mask, et cetera. And so the reason that liveness detection um, is becoming so important is because fraudsters and, and cyber criminals are starting to use pretty advanced spoofing attacks, whether they be deep fakes um, or bots or kind of other... Um, other ways to try to trick the system. And so what liveness detection does kind of at its core is make, to make sure that the person behind that transaction is a real living human being, right? And not a, a deep fake video, right? And so that's why it's become so critical is you just need a way to really separate fact from fiction and separate kind of the wheat from the chaff and really understand that the person is, is not only physically present, but that that, that biometric artifact is um, authentic. Mm -hmm. And uh, sort of to follow up around that, why is it important to have the same level of security at enrollment uh, as is present in subsequent authentication? Yeah, so I, I, we think of this kind of really as all identity verification, but more like from an end-to-end -end perspective. The very, the very kind of the initial part of identity verification happens when people are creating an account. You need to make sure that the people that are creating accounts are who they claim to be. Right, and so that's why it's critical to have um, a highly accurate and reliable forms of kind of that form of identity proofing, because you don't want to let the bad actors into your ecosystem. Once they're into your ecosystem, they can actually wreak a lot of havoc and cause a lot of harm. Right, they can harm your reputation. They can perpetrate fraud against other members of the community. Um, there's just a lot of reasons why you want to keep the bad actors out, and that's that's probably an, an obvious statement. Um, but obviously, once you, they're in your system. If you're only protecting kind of their accounts with a username and password, in many cases that isn't sufficient. So, for example, if you're, uh, let's say that you're a bank and we've just given you Peter access to an account and we've given you a username and password, um, that may be wholly appropriate for kind of checking your balance, right? But as soon as there starts to be high risk transactions, so let's say again in that bank account example. Um, there's all of a sudden a $15,000 wire transfer to the Cayman Islands, right? I'm guessing you kind of as the consumer would like to think that the bank has um, more uh, rigorous forms of authentication than simply a username and password, especially in light of the fact that your username and password is probably already on the dark web. Yeah. And so, right. So you need to protect those kinds of transactions with a much higher level of authentication. Um, and I think that's where um, liveness detection can play a role. So it should be playing a role up front when you're creating the account. And again, it's all to kind of ratchet up the level of security um, and also to ensure that you have a much higher level of assurance 
than you would with traditional forms of identity verification. But it's equally important that certainly for high risk transactions, even a password reset, for example, which is a threat vector that many um, bad actors use to kind of access and take over an account, that even that process itself is locked down by a higher level of authentication than simply asking for your mother's maiden name or your first car, right? To protect against fraud, businesses online need to know that their customers are who they claim to be. But Jumia believes good customers shouldn't be bothered with identity verification solutions that slow them down. Through the power of Jumio's informed AI, you can convert more customers, stop fraudsters from infiltrating your online channel, and get in compliance with KYC, AML, and other identity mandates. With an approach that is as simple as taking a selfie, Jumio transforms the identity verification process into one your customers will actually appreciate. With Jumio's award-winning technologies, you'll turn good people into good customers faster than ever, and rest assured, your customers are who they claim to be. Learn more at Jumio.com. And now, back to the podcast. And so, I want to take a, a broader look at the decade in biometrics now. Face biometrics have really taken the spotlight in positive and negative ways this decade with the mainstreaming of face authentication on mobile devices and the controversy around facial recognition and surveillance. How has the dialogue around public perception of face biometrics affected Jumio? Yeah, it's it requires a lot more education, right? So when you, when you say the word facial recognition to a, fram, a family or a colleague, it's usually don't, you don't get great reactions from it. And I think a large reason for that is most facial recognition that's used, for example, in airports and in places like China, is being used for surveillance purposes. And part of the problem is being done without the explicit permission of the person being surveilled, right? And right. it's not surprisingly that certainly kind of Western cultures, we, you know, we're not terribly fond of, of that kind of notion of um, government led surveillance. There's a fundamental difference. In fact, when we talk about our solutions, we go out of our way to, to not use the term facial recognition. And instead, we try to use the term face-based authentication. And the reason why we, we try to be clear about our terminology is, and where I think increasingly where we need to educate the market on, is there's a fundamental difference between what we're doing and the kind of facial recognition done by, by governments and at air, airports. And so I just maybe will spell out some of those key differences. Um, with facial recognition, what they're doing is they're taking a snapshot of you, maybe as you walk the street or as you enter the terminal. They're then comparing that picture to literally thousands of, of, of pictures and often pictures of, of bad, bad actors, right? Um, known felons, uh, people that are on government watch lists and making sure that your face doesn't match any of those. And facial recognition has enabled that to happen. And, and mostly that's for the benefit of, of all, right? I think most of us would be be happy that they're doing that. Now, it's, it's, it gets taken to another level when it's kind of a government looking and it goes beyond protecting business travelers, right? Um, with face-based authentication, first of all, it's 100% permission-based. So if you're going to sign in and create a new account and they ask for a picture of your selfie, you can certainly opt out of that process and not create an account there, right? Um, but where our customers and Jumio need to do a better job of is explaining why, why are we requiring a selfie to start with, right? The reason we're requiring a selfie is, first of all, we want to make sure that you are who you say you are. That only is not only for um, the business benefit, but it's also increasingly for the end user's benefit, especially when it comes to, for example, ongoing authentication, 
right? So for example, you, it, it's hard to argue that if, if $15,000 is being transferred in, into a, a Cayman so it's, you know, it came in a bank account, that you as the end user would like to make sure that there's higher levels of assurance that go into um, that decision before the, the wire gets transferred out of your account, right? So fundamentally, it's, it's different technology. Fundamentally, it's based on permission versus uh, not permission. Um, and fundamentally, it's really about protecting uh, the ecosystem and about ultimately protecting the security and privacy of the end user. And do you expect how do you expect the conversation around face biometrics to change in the near future, if at all? Um, I think it is going to change, but I think it's going to require just a healthy dose of user education, right? And so even now, um, there's litigation that's on the books called um, BIPA. Um, it's a, actually an Illinois state law, and it's actually just made the news recently, just this week, in that Facebook um, uh, settled for $550 million for violations of, of BIPA. Um, let me quickly explain why BIPA, because this, this is kind of, I think, directly speaks to the question that you're asking. What BIPA is, requires is it's the Biometric Information Pr Privacy Act. It means that, um, like, our business customers are required to ask for permission of end users before they um, capture their selfie, right? So again, if you think back to how Jumio operates, is we're gonna ask for a copy of your government issued ID, then we're gonna ask for that corroborating selfie. Well, a selfie is a form of, is a biometric. So the way it works with our solution today, again, to be compliant with BIPA, is that we now ask um, our customers, hey, um, do you give consent? for us to use and capture your biometric information for the purposes of identity verification. And so customers now have the opportunity, at least with Jumio, to opt out of that process. Now, it ultimately means they may not be given an account, right? But at least they're given the option and they're knowing that we're actually capturing it for the purposes of identity verification. But at least giving them the option to opt out and so much of these regulations that we're talking about, whether it be CCPA or GDPR, it's all about giving end users control. And ultimately, I think we all want control of our own data. Um, we may, and essentially, it's, it's a, uh, a trade-off, right? Do I trust this organization that they're also going to manage my biometric information securely, right? That they're going to take due care? Um, and I think that is, and in light of the data breaches, I think it's an absolutely fair question that they ought to be, ans be asking. Right? But I think that's how the dialogue is going to be changing. And I think it's incumbent on Jumio. It's incumbent on our business customers that are putting their end users through the process to help educate them why, why they're using biometrics in the first place and why ultimately it's good for their end users and for their ecosystem. As this year's Find Biometrics survey uncovered, your end users don't want to encounter friction when logging into their online accounts. How can you remove friction without opening the doors to fraud? Jumio Authentication has a simple answer. Through the simple act of taking a selfie, your users can unlock their accounts with beyond password level security. With integrated certified liveness detection and face-based biometrics, Jumio creates a powerful defense against fraud while ensuring good customers have a frictionless experience on any device. Best of all, Jumio Authentication is proven to protect against advanced spoofing attempts and deepfakes, both growing concerns in cybersecurity. Learn more and see how it works at jumio.com slash authentication. And now back to the podcast. This is a very big question, but in your opinion, what were the most 
important milestones in the past 10 years in mobility, identity, and biometrics technologies at large for our industry? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big question. I, I, I think um, we've touched on some of these already, but I, I think the emergence of the dark web and really sophisticated uh, crime rings um, is really changed the landscape um, of identity and fraud. Um, and it, frankly, it's, it's ushered in kind of how we even think about um, do, going through kind of identity proofing uh, of users. So I think that's probably one of the first major kind of Uber trends I think we're seeing in the market. Another one is obviously a digital transformation, how everything is now moving online and actually more specifically to our phones, right? And with that creeps in more risk, right? I mean, the fact is very few people would go into a branch office to create an account. Most people expect like an Uber-like experience for everything they're doing, right? <laughs> Whether it's pizza or they're creating an online bank account, um, virtually all elements of our world have gone online and so, but that, that does impose a tax for a lot of companies in terms of making sure, if I'm not looking at someone face-to-face, -face, how can you be sure that they are who they claim they are? So I think digital transformation is another kind of big, um, a big trend. I think finally, um, we're talking about like passwordless authentication and it's really becoming a real thing. And I think part of it has to be the result of all these data breaches where, you know, it's not like when we see data breaches, we're not usually talking about tens of thousands of records. It's usually hundreds of millions of records that are getting breached, right? And it's happening almost on a weekly or monthly basis. These data breaches are happening. So any kind of end user who thinks that their data isn't out there on the dark web is, is probably kidding themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm quite confident most of my data and my usernames and passwords are out there on the dark web. And given that people are using the same passwords across all these different websites, it makes things like credential stuffing all the more successful, right? And so what, what's encouraging is, is kind of as we go into the new decade, is I am seeing kind of passwordless forms of authentication becoming a real thing. Um, along the same lines, I am starting to see biometrics really starting to take hold um, as a key way for, for not only identity proofing, but also for ongoing authentication. And I think we have a big debt of thanks to companies like Apple and, and Samsung who now allow you to kind of unlock your phones with your face. And they've kind of made it okay to use biometrics. Um, and they've, I think, made it more comfortable and familiar for the rest of the world. So those are, I think, some of the big milestones I think we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, and I think it's gonna shape the next 10 years as well. As in previous years, Jumia reported consistently impressive financial results alongside a constant stream of industry awards. I swear, uh, you know, from an editorial standpoint, I really do mean that in terms of constant stream. We're always reporting on it. And uh, my question is, how much of the success we're seeing from Jumio is tied to your company's willingness to keep evolving? I, I, I mean, I honestly gotta say it's probably 100%, right? Because um, a lot of the, those awards, a good chunk of those awards has to do with innovation. Right, and where we're, we're keeping kind of trying to push the envelope is in a few different areas. So we've talked about AI, right? What AI is allowing us to do at Jumio is really to improve the speed and the accuracy um, of our identity verification, right? And so um, what used to be a minute and a half, we now can do within 20 seconds. We just, you know, um, 
And I, I think that that is, it's so critical for companies like us to keep evolving because as we talked about, the fraudsters are evolving as well, right? So as they raise their game, we absolutely have to raise our game. So, and again, it's very much a cat and mouse game, um, but where we're really focusing and putting a lot of our big bets, um, you know, in 2020 and even in 2019 is around this notion of informed AI, um, developing better, smarter algorithms, um, and always being on the lookout for new vectors of fraud. <clears throat> you know, speaking of evolving technology, in October, Jumio launched the Jumio Go beta. What's the status of Jumio Go here at the dawn of the new year, and where do you expect to take it from here? Yeah, and so maybe I should just clarify what Jumio Go is. So Jumio Go is a fully automated solution, so there's no um, human review um, at all. It's completely AI-based. And um, we're getting a lot of traction from, from customers. Um, what's interesting is our bread and butter historically has been on customers where, um, and we've, we've used the tagline, you know, when identity matters, you know, trust Jumio. Um, but the fact is, as many customers um, that really care about getting the right answer, there's a number of customers where the speed is absolutely critical, right? They know, for example, again, like I talked about, if it takes a minute and a half um, to kind of verify someone they go through that process, they're probably going to lose 10 to 15% of their customers, right? And if you think about the lifetime value of a customer, um, that is, um, has a huge impact on their ROI uh, as a company. So companies like that are increasingly are looking for automated solutions and, and figuring out ways to ratchet down the speed, but while still preserving the accuracy level. And accuracy is something that we're spending a lot of time across our entire product suite. And by the way, the way we think about accuracy is really along two dimensions is how can we make sure that we're identifying the right people and make sure that the right people have a great experience and they're quickly ver validated um, and verified. But just as obviously important is how can we uh, spot those bad actors, those fraudsters, and prevent them from entering your ecosystem. Um, and so where we're putting a lot of time and energy on through the AI is looking at both those metrics. Um, how well do we let the good guys in? Um, well, we, call, we look at something called a false acceptance rate, and we looked at a false rejection rate, the, the FAR and the FRR, and we're measuring our solutions based on those metrics. And so the real benefit that we have, and by the way, Jumio Go is, is still out there, it's still in beta, and we're still capturing tons of valuable feedback. Um, one of the things that we're doing with Jumio Go, which I think is pretty innovative, is virtually every single transaction that goes through Jumio Go is simultaneously going through our, our hybrid um, process in parallel, right? Our, our hybrid process involves AI, but also that element of human review. And by putting that same transaction through both streams, what we can do is say, what result did the automated solution give us? Did it, it reject or did it accept the, the, um, uh, that, that person, that end user? Um, and when there's a difference, when there's a delta in that decision, we're looking to figure out why. And by having human review in the loop, we're serving that as a, as a form of audit, we're able to tag those transactions, which allow us in turn to feed our AI algorithms to make them that much smarter and to iterate that much faster, right? No one else in the market would put their transactions through a dual process, but by doing that, we're actually feeding, and this is when we talk about informed AI, this is what's informing a lot of our AI is by having that dual loop, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. You're sort of essentially the shepherds for uh, the deep learning and AI. Um, what were some other 
highlights of 2019 for Jumio? I know you had quite a few. Right. I, th- I think there's a few things. I mean, we, our whole category, all the companies kind of in our space um, and our competitors, we're, we're all experiencing pretty dramatic growth. I think what's um, where we're really trying to focus on in the year ahead is around um, really improving kind of the level of automation and the level and the kind of um, how much informed AI is being used in our algorithms. Um, and that means improving the accuracy, improving the speed. Um, from a product perspective, we're also looking at other, trying to figure out how, where we can get other fraud signals, right, from our data. Whether that's looking, for example, at the IP address of the phone, whether that's looking at database um, lookups, right? So, for example, if we've seen Peter Counter before in our system across multiple websites and you've been approved every single time, um, that's a, an important fraud signal that we should be leveraging in, as part of our decisioning engine. Conversely, if we've seen Peter in three different websites being rejected as providing fraudulent ID, well, that obviously should, in a similar way, inform our decisioning, right? So we're looking for like additional data points to kind of inform our uh, algorithms, right? The other areas where we're looking to kind of grow and expand is into different geographic markets. Um, so uh, we're seeing a, a lot of growth in, in LATAM, uh, Latin America, a lot of growth in Asia Pacific. Um, and I think we're also seeing a lot of growth in new and emerging use cases. So for example, because of how we do authentication, which is um, really tethered to how we do kind of the initial onboarding of customers, we're getting interest um, from uh, even from kind of travel and entertainment kinds of sites. For example, you can imagine if you're like at a hotel and instead of waiting at the line of the hotel, if you're a, a member of that hotel chain, let's say it's the Hyatt, um, and I just plucked that name out. That's a, um, a, a prospect of ours. Um, but instead of waiting in line in, in a registration line, um, the ability to, to, if you've already registered in advance, to simply uh, go to your room and then open your door with your face, right, through kind of face-based authentication. All of these use cases are now emerging because of the technology, right? And so that's what makes it exciting is there's all these different ways we can kind of grow as a company. So we're looking certainly to evolve the, comp- uh, the product set and make it more um, automated and more accurate. We're also looking to grow the number of use cases. We're also looking to grow kind of uh, from a, a geographic perspective as well. Well, thanks so much, Dean. And uh, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about what we talked about in this episode? Yeah, I think certainly as a company, if you're interested in Jumio as a company, please feel free to re- just go to our website at jumio.com. We have a contact us form. You can certainly fill that out. Um, if you want to you know, connect me with you one-on-one, feel free to just go to my page on LinkedIn. It's uh, Dean Nichols and it's spelled, you know, Nichols is spelled N-I-C-O-L-L-S. It's a very unusual spelling. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm pretty accessible on LinkedIn. Or you can certainly follow me on my, uh, on my Twitter account as well. So um, I look forward to hearing from your listeners and kind of continuing the conversation. Well, thanks so much, Dean. Again, it's uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for joining me today on the ID Talk podcast. Thanks, Peter. And so concludes my conversation with Dean Nichols, Vice President of Global Marketing for Jumio. To learn more about the topics we discussed on this episode, please visit jumio.com. And visit findbiometrics.com to read all about our year-in-review 2019 survey results. I'd like to thank Dean again for joining me on this episode. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.